Hello and welcome. This is the Clinical Audit and Improvement Podcast from AMAT, the audit management and tracking tool, which is developed in partnership with our users. My name is Tom Conlon, and in this episode, I'll be learning about the importance of audit for end-of-life care. Both my guests today have extensive experience in this field, and it's a privilege to be able to welcome them here. I'm joined by Sonia Kinnair from Kent Community Health NHS Foundation Trust. Sonia started out as project administrator for NHS Health Checks before moving first into the end-of-life care team and then into clinical audit in 2015. She's passionate about finding ways to improve patient care, especially in end-of-life. She's a quality service improvement and redesign practitioner, has completed a project management apprenticeship as a project manager and gave an excellent talk at AMAT's first annual clinical audit conference. I'm also joined by Sarah Parry, who's a transformation lead nurse for end-of-life care at Kettering General Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. Sarah has worked for over 20 years in palliative and end-of-life care for both acute and community trusts. She's the experience and skills to determine and influence the strategic direction in this field and works to unblock real and perceived barriers. Sarah also has coordinated the NACEL for Kettering since its inception back in 2018. So welcome to you both. Now, I know that it's really vital to get kind of every stage of patient care right, but somehow it seems even more imperative when it comes to our end of life. Both Sarah and Sonia have expressed how passionate they are on the subject, so I'm keen to learn how audit supports this. Sonia, if I could just start off with you. When we talk about audits and end of life care, we're talking mostly about NACEL, I think. So could you just give me a kind of a whistle-stop tour of, of what NACEL is, please? Well, as we're a community trust, um, NACEL only focuses on our hospitals. Um, so they are um, stages to their audit. So they have the beginning stage of when you confirm the hospital structures, so how many end-of-life care beds you have, how many hospital sites you have. Then there's the case review. So this is where we look at the cases of people that have died within a two-month period as, as set out by NACEL. And then there is the quality surveys, one for the bereaved relatives to give a feedback on the care that they received and their loved one. And also there's the quality survey for staff as well and that includes anyone that's involved in the care of anyone that's um, at end of life not necessarily just the nurses but also they ask people that will be involved so even when they bring tea around and they may have just a conversation while they're pouring a cup of tea and they want to know what the situation is like for them um, from their level of dealing with people at end of life. So for us, it's quite a small number that we um, are able to submit because as being a community trust, the majority of our cases of end-of-life care are in the patient's own home or in care homes. So for our trust, we normally submit around five cases of the no-sell case review. But it's still worth doing. Um, and we've adapted it as well, um, which I can go into further later. That was fantastic. Thanks. Thanks, Sonia. So, Sarah, what, why, why, is, why is this important? Can you explain that, please? I think capturing the care you give at end of life is very difficult, purely because of the emotiveness around looking after somebody who is dying. 
So if there's any way we can capture the care we give and also the views of the relatives is is great. And it really does help shape uh, future future care, future um, teams that we provide and services we provide. So why is this important? Why Why is carrying out the nacelle important? I think it gives us a really good snapshot of what is happening over a few month period in the hospital. So if we're in the hospital, we have to, this time round in 2022, we've uh, looked at uh, 50 sets of notes from deaths from April and May. And also from that time and onwards, we've um, sent out letters to the bereaved relatives to take part. And also then again this year, we're looking at the staff survey as well about the people who care for patients who are at end of life, who come into contact with them, and how confident are they in giving end of life care? All of which, with those results, will really shape um, our future services in the trust. Thanks. So, so can you explain, either of you, kind of give me an example of, of how that has, that's, that, how that has shaped uh, the, the treatment that how has it changed the treatment that is given then uh, end of life I think for Kettering General Hospital one of the biggest things was they look at about the workforce the specialist palliative care workforce so back in 2018 at Kettering General Hospital we had a five-day service um, with um, about th- three nurses Um, trying to deliver that service. Now, with those results, obviously, we came below national average in the results of 2018. And that really helped um, myself put a business case to the trust to expand our team to a seven-day service. And and doing so, we had to employ a lot more nurses. So it has really helped that side with the workforce development side fantastically because it supported my business case And because it's a national audit and because CQC look at those audit results, again, it just really supports whatever service development I'm trying to do around end of life and palliative care. Sonia, anything from your perspective? How's it shaped what you do uh, over at Kent? Well, coming from a community trust, it's slightly different for us. So um, as Sarah was saying, they've managed to review 50 cases, which can give you a really good, clear picture of how the trust is operating. But for the community, it's and submitting just the five cases that gives us very limited information. So actually from NACEL, we have produced an end-of-life care audit programme. So we have two main ones which use the NACEL questions, one being end-of-life care and one being the priorities of care. So we split the NACEL questions and we look at all aspects of care and try and join it up into a picture so it can give us the same information back from the NACEL questions. So we've got eight in total um, audits that look at all different aspects, including DNA, CPR, TEPs, which is the treatment escalation plans. Um, Obviously, we'll be moving into respect soon as well because that will be a new audit, um, sorry, a new um, system that's coming in. But from that we can look at the areas that need um, improvements or um, tweaking because maybe the patients didn't feel that a particular area um, got enough focus so we can change um, different aspects of our care maybe um, provide them with more information leaflets things like that 
that come back from the NASO audit. But we can also use it in our communities, even though we don't look at the community deaths um, in NASO, because it often the same sort of themes are um, between the hospitals and in the community as well. So it's a good audit, but like I said, we, we've had to adapt it so we can get more from it. But that's created a really good, robust programme for us. Fantastic, thanks. So how do then, on a wider scale, how do the, your clinical audit team support you in, in your role? Um, we couldn't do it without them, I have to say. I think back back when NACEL started, um, just having somebody who's used to audit, understanding a national process, and then guiding us um, through that and helping us just with it every day, trying to get the notes for us um, and just something as simple as that really helps a team then um, then sit down with the notes and do carry out the audit. Plus um, <clears throat> the audit team for us, they then inputted all the data for us as well. So it freed up the palliative care team. The palliative care team who carried out the majority of the audit, they were there auditing, then they passed over the data to the audit department, they inputted it for us. So it was a real team effort. Now, this has grown much bigger now as the National Audit has grown into all different areas. And obviously, I'm more confident. You know, this is my what fifth, fourth, fifth year doing it. Um, but it is, it's a real partnership with them. With them. And now when we're using AMAT, um, we can now look at the results earlier than having to wait until next March, February, March, for the actual results to come out. So we can um, look at the preliminary results and actually if there's urgent actions, we can start implementing them straight away. And we couldn't do that without the audit department, absolutely not. So is this kind of similar experience to, to what you have? Yeah, it's very similar. Um, obviously, I'm coming from the actual clinical audit team side of course yeah. um, so what we did in our trust was with the nurse consultant friend of life care um, and one of the complex care nurses we sat down and reviewed the cases and as they were reviewing it I was entering the data onto the NACEL um, spreadsheet that they provide and then we upload it so it helps with me as well so it gives me the information that they're looking at as I know a little bit about um, some of the end-of-life care processes that um, are done within our trust, I can sort of quiz them a bit more as to whether it, it does match the NACEL um, level of information that they need as well. So mm. it's it's a good process to all sit around together and do it because the majority of audits within our trust are, as an audit department, we build the data collection tool and then the teams go away and collect it themselves. So we've being there and actually going through the patient's notes with the end of life care um, department, then it's it's really good and really insightful for me to do it as well. So this that's the, the kind of nacelle. Are there any non-national audit activities which kind of go sort of behind all this? So behind that activity that then you'll use just as a kind of ongoing thing rather than just the nacelles? We in the hospital, we have, we've looked a bit more in depth into um, anticipatory prescribing for a patient who's been recognised as dying. So um, whereas NACEL would just ask if things have been prescribed for certain symptoms, 
we can then we've gone onto the wards and that actually sort of done a here and now audit um, to look at look at the drug charts of a dying patient there and then if things haven't been prescribed we can then discuss that with the doctors with the nurses and understand why they haven't been prescribed so nacelle to me is sort of a very black and white has it been prescribed yes no but actually doing a here and now audit in real time gives us a better understanding of actually why something hasn't been prescribed so that's really helped us understand so we've unfolded doing that we've understood sort of um doctors understanding doctors learning their education um and actually the rationale that there's some drugs won't be prescribed and there's absolutely a good rationale for that that's not captured in the national audit that's just one example sonia anything to add to that yeah exactly what um sarah's just said so as we've um, produced these audits from the nasal questions, in our end-of-life care audit, we do actually ask the just-in-case questions and just-in-case medicine. Oh. Um, so we can delve a little bit deeper, like um, Sarah was saying, it's not just was it prescribed, it was which one's been prescribed, which one was actually administered. So like say you're going down into the more detail that then can impact on your care going forward. So it is given us, NATO gives us sort of that, that outline of the care, but then as a trust, you can delve down deeper to those particular areas that you need to focus on. So I'm going to pick up a little bit now on, on what you were saying, Sonia, about being a community trust and how your patients then are obviously in, in a different kind of location, often at, at home, um, how does so? What sort of challenges do do does that throw up compared to? And then and then Sarah can perhaps chip in with what what she faces, what challenges she faces from an acute and with her experience of community. Interested in the differences in approach for for, for end of life care. Um, for the community, it's very big difference from when they're in um, our hospitals, even though our community hospitals so. Patients mainly come step down from the acute into our hospitals for um, this rehabilitation, things like that, if they've had a, an operation. But out in the community, there are so many different professions involved. And often it's still the GP is their main healthcare provider. Then they may have our community nurses going in for possibly um, just dressing changes, things like that, that it then leads on to end of life care. And sometimes we don't get told that, that it's necessary for end of life care because maybe the GP hasn't identified it as that or we're going in for something simple. But then when they get there and they do the holistic assessment, it becomes apparent that actually this person's now become bed bound and they're not eating and drinking much. So it leads on then to a, a shift in the way that they're working with that patient. So they're not just there to... Um, do the particular thing that the doctor has asked them to go in for or, or maybe it's come from um, a referral from somewhere else it's looking at that patient as a whole and working out what it is that they need um, so maybe bringing in some equipment or maybe they need to be referred back to the GP to take forward being end of life and put them onto the palliative register and also looking at the families. So we try and support the families as much as possible as well. So we'll refer them for carers assessment, make sure that 
they all understand the situation as well. So some people, it may come as a shock to them that their relative is dying or they've had their suspicions, but they didn't want to bring it up. So someone else, a health professional, being able to say that that helps them have those conversations and start putting those plans in place. That sounds uh, sadly familiar to, to me. I've, I've experienced this as well. Um, Sarah, how about from an acute point of view? I think from an acute point of view, we've got it much easier than the community. Yeah. Um, because as Sonia hit the nail on the head, in the community, you've got so many different teams involved in one patient. Um, and seeing as predominantly this is a notes audit, trying to, I'm sure, trying to coordinate all of those different notes and making sure people are writing in one place. Um, for us in the acute setting is far easier. We've got one set of medical notes, which the nursing notes go into when that patient dies and either we've got them um, actual notes or now we've gone over to electronic notes. So it's all there for us to just work our way through. Um, so I would say, yes, I think from an acute point of view, it's far easier for us to carry out this order. So going back to, to, to NACEL, um, how have you each adapted or have you even adapted NACEL for your trust? How's that work for you? I don't think we I mean, you, you can't change the structure of NACEL um, at all. It is, it is yeah, as it is. And yeah. we have to follow what they ask us to do, which I think originally going back to 2018 uh, was very difficult. So I've got a very different opinion of NACEL now compared to when it started in 18. And I think luckily for the acute setting, it's evolved very well for us. Yeah. Um, when it first started, it felt they were asking for sort of unrealistic, unrealistic expectations from an acute setting for what they were asking for, as in what was documented. Um, and I think they've actually really, like I say, evolved that now to actually what is really important. So, for an example, back in 2018, we had to document in our audit if the consultant had introduced himself to the patient and obviously if that's not documented then that's a mark against you that's you haven't done it so luckily like I say it has evolved and I think actually what they're looking at now is really pertinent um, and it's really focused. Sonia? Well we're the same as well it's the level of questioning didn't always um, directly apply or, or make it easy to find that evidence but as I mentioned, we've started to use the NASA questions in other areas. So yeah. we can include our community, but also we include a larger um, time period that we can look at the case notes. So for NASA, it's just over a two-month period. Hence, we have the very low numbers of our hospital deaths. Like I say, it's usually about five. But by expanding the criteria to our community, teams and also expanding the time period we can look over a six month period if we want to get a really good wide view um but using their questions it, it gives you know that they've been researched you know that it's been looked into what questions are, um, matter and also then you can have a look at how you compare to the national picture once they produce the reports but with um they so it's unfortunately the big problem is that they're reporting so you've done the data submission then you don't hear anything until sort of the, the next year and that's when you really try and put in your actions 
to make the improvements, but by the time those are starting to be embedded, you're on to the next data collection as well. But I attended a webinar the other day and they were speaking about, so the new, the NACEL is up for um, a renewal of contract. So that has been given back to the benchmarking network. And they said that they're going to change the way they report um, and the data collection is going to be more frequent and the reporting to support that will be more frequent as well. So it looks like that we won't be doing an ASL audit in 2023. The new audit design will then come in to effect in 2024. So hopefully that will just sort of tidy up all the little issues that people have had with the NACEL audit. So we can submit the data and we'll get reporting, even if it's just our report and not the national comparison, but hopefully we'll be able to get that a lot quicker. So then we can start putting the actions into place. So one thing I found one of the many things I found really interesting about your talk at the conference, actually, um, Sonia, was you, you kind of touched upon the period of COVID, basically the pandemic, and when mm -hmm. how that affected the nation. And it was it was a big event for everybody, obviously, and he, and I imagine especially so for end of life. I wonder if you could kind of like quickly talk about about how that has affected this this level of, of, of audit at end of life. Um, well, again. Uh, at the um, conference, I had a slide that showed so the hospital deaths um, during the COVID period. Like I say, for an, an average um, that we tend to be able to submit is five cases, which, like I say, doesn't give you a picture. Unfortunately, but for the right reasons, NASA was cancelled during COVID, which is yeah. perfectly acceptable because of all the pressures that everybody was under. But we sort of then missed that perfect opportunity because we would have had 75 cases that we could have submitted yeah. to have given us a really good, clear picture. So we did go back and have a look at those um, particular cases ourselves with our new sort of developed audits. Yeah. So looking at all the different aspects of end of life care that came with that. So we've managed to pull a lot of information. Um, but again, the situation was obviously very different. The number of cases, the severity of um the patients coming into our care was very different um, during COVID time. But it has helped people understand the process of end of life care. Um, and it, it's given them a, a sort of a... So rather than trying to be negative, we try to pull it round and make things into a positive where possible. So we'd be able to get people more involved. It wasn't just about, OK, we're here to support the end of life care. Medically, we also had um, people that would go in and just sit and have conversations. So when the families couldn't be there, we would have more people sitting there holding their hands, just having a conversation so they weren't on their own, that were based in the hospitals. And that has actually changed how we've gone forward. So we now have quite a few volunteers that will go in and sit with people, especially if they haven't got any friends or family that can be there. Um, so good positive things have actually come out of COVID for us. Um, and like I say, and the NACEL um, audits that have come from it as well have produced more of an understanding as, as, as a community trust. That's lovely. That, 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 that emergence of, of, a, of a stronger empathy is, is wonderful. Sarah, over to you. I think, for, so we didn't do the national audit in 2020, but 2021 we did. Um, as a trust, we decided only to do the case notes review 
we didn't do the bereaved relatives and we didn't do the staff survey because we were still just where well, we were still coming just out of the COVID, the second course, week, yeah. as I would say. Um, and I think, I think for us, it, it was when you're looking at the communication skills of relatives, um, it showed a great improvement. And I think that was because of COVID, because we were having to do everything by telephone. And actually, we saw a great improvement in our documentation around communication with relatives um, because we were there on the phones with them. This is across the board, especially from the medical profession. We saw a great um, I don't say, increase in excellent documentation of conversations they'd had with relatives. And I'm hoping that will continue and we'll see that in our in this year's audit, that those communications, because we actually came up quite low against the national average in previous years about our documentation and communication with relatives. And I can only put it down to COVID that we came out better, as in because we had to communicate in very different ways, in much more yeah. difficult ways over a telephone, especially around end of life. Yeah. Um, so that's what we found during the COVID period, yeah. That's wonderful, wonderful to hear. So I'm now curious about um, um, something that you kind of like raised earlier on, Sarah, about improvements and how NACEL has, has changed over the years. So I'm going to put you both kind of in charge of everything. And I'd like to hear what, what improvements you would, would make on top of what's already been done. How would you change the system so that it, it could go forward and be stronger and more beneficial for, for patient care? I think what already Sonia's touched on, and, and it sounds like it's going to happen, is have a break, have a year's break so we can just consolidate everything um, this year, especially for my trust, we've done the staff survey and we've done the bereavement, the bereaved relative survey. So that is going to be a lot of data coming our way, um, which we won't actually get until February, March. And just to have a year to consolidate that, put in some really good, robust, robust action plans and then just give us a year to implement. And then when the audit hopefully comes around in 2024, we will, we will see some changes and some differences in our results because I just think we need that breathing space now. I think, like I've said, the audit has evolved really well over the years and um, I'm happy with what the data is giving me, but I just need that time. We just need that time as a trust to really look at things now. Um, and like I say, we've got, I'm hoping to get a real wealth of data from the staff survey, which will then go on to um um, form our next year's education programs, training programs, whether we need to change, renew, adjust. Um, and the st and you, you cannot underestimate the power of a bereavement relative survey, actually listening to what they've put. And again, we need time to really look at that. Of course, that sounds sensible. Sonia, what would you change? Um, I would like it to be expanded a little bit more because like I say we've started to do the end of life care but also the priorities of a dying person so they could pull in some more aspects um, but you know admittedly everybody um, that submits to it does get a good amount of information from it the areas that they do look at but that's why we've um, adapted the questions and expanded our audit program to 
get a bigger picture. So for before somebody's passed away and then all the, the details afterwards and, and the family's uh, feedback as well. But something that we've taken away from that is at our end of life steering group, we actually invite a bereaved relative to come and discuss their views because you can then see as well as see the emotion um, on their face as well. So not just sort of the written feedback. Um, so I'd like to be able to capture sort of a, a more immediate um, response as well. So whether we have one that we do our own survey um, of bereaved relatives, but maybe just sort of trying to capture a little bit fresher at the time. Um, because a lot of the, the information is often fed back to our nurses anyway while they're there. But again, it's just capturing that and recording it somewhere. So that's for us is another way that we are trying to go forward with it as well. Um, I mean, our nurses do amazing jobs, but it's taking the time to record things. Um, which, I'd like to say, they're there for the care and the passion and trying to do all the admin bits afterwards is um, it's often sort of left, left a little bit late and then they just get their the skeleton information down rather than all the, the ins and outs of what discussions they've had with the patient. I think what would be fantastic would be to get the patient's views and this is a real area for audit around end-of-life care because like I say it's such an emotive time yes but I'm sure what they could tell us would be amazing and really help us again shape our future services um, and as far as I'm aware I mean, it's, I mean, it's never been touched by nacelle, and I'm not sure about how we would get round that. Um, I mean, we've had difficulties in the trust about people asking the bereaved relatives if it's okay to send them a letter to to do a survey. So I think to ask a patient in the midst of what they're going through, then to do an audit, you know, or to do a survey, I think it's very difficult. But I think the wealth that would give us would be amazing it's just the logistics around it because i yeah. don't know of any i mean many moons ago in a past you know past job we did get the the points of a, the views of a patient um, and their relatives and it, you know again great great for us um and it would be great if we could do that again somehow i suppose yeah, that's from... sorry sonia you carry i was on. just going to say that's something that would be absolutely wonderful um mm. And I would love our trust to do that in part, again, because we've got the volunteers now that go in and sit um, sit with the relatives and the patient. Those little bits of information that they pick up are absolutely wonderful. We, I've heard some of them. But like you say, to be able to actually capture it and act on it from the person themselves that is there, um, and maybe that wouldn't be a medical person. Maybe it would be somebody that's not medical and just, mm. you know, I'm here for a chat. How are things? How are you? So, yeah, that'd be something that I would love to expand on as mm. well in our trust. I, 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 you echoed what I was about to say, actually, about how, and this is something that you both raised, about how COVID has, has increased this, this um, level of empathy between um, people and talking to them. And, and that listening to to the patient all the time and more and more it's happening because it had to happen during COVID. Hopefully that's something that we can carry on and, and hold on to 
uh, even when when things hopefully uh, calm down and change and, and as they inevitably will. That's a, something, a valuable lesson to, to hold on to, I think. That's fantastic. Have either of you anything else to add? Any maybe things that you'd like to explain about your role that you wish other people would know? Anything at all? I think for me, one of my concerns is about the uh, the weight this audit has behind it, um, and to the maybe the untrained eye, uh, when they just look at the summary scores, actually for NACEL, you need to look a lot deeper. So, for instance, last year um, we were below national average only just when it was uh, with communicating with families and others. But then you looked at the relatives and they were giving us, you know, 100 percent. So for me, my concern is, like I say, where if CQC came to the trust to, and looked at those audit results at face value, um, they get it. You get a very different picture, actually, when you actually look, go into into the results, probably like any audit. Um, but it's it's a very there's quite a conflict between what the relatives were saying and actually what we were documenting. And actually, it was the relatives that were giving us a very far positive overview on the care compared to what we were documenting. So I think it's just the concern is about the weight behind some of these national audits have uh, when being, I suppose, judged judged across across nationally. Yeah, that's a fair point, a very valid point, that. Sonia? Yeah, I agree totally with that. Um, at the conference in May, um, I had a slide showing our uh, bespoke infographic that we received back from mm. NACEL. And because we're split into East Kent and West Kent, so we have um, two separate reports, on one of them, it was only one case that was that we mm. could actually submit during that small time period of those two months. And a quick look at it looked brilliant because there was lots of things that said 100%, but that's because it was one case that we looked at so it doesn't actually give you any usable information really so on the reverse side of that as well if it didn't happen in that one case we've got zero percent so it's it's really looking um like sarah was saying into the the background information as well and when cqc do look at this audit we always say but have a look at these as well because these are ones that are carried out over a greater period of time with a greater mm. number of our patients so it gives you a better picture right thank you that was that was absolutely fascinating uh, thanks to both of you i think we'll we'll wrap it up there time's run out so i'll let you carry on with your jobs if any listeners would like to join me on a future episode then just simply send an email to podcast at amat.co.uk it's a platform for absolutely anybody who's involved in clinical audit to come and talk about the things that interest you and that you'd like others to know about and please subscribe and share wherever you can so thanks for listening and thanks for joining me sarah and sonia